Hello, and thank you to everyone who is joining us on our podcast today. We're joined by Mercy One General Cardiologist, Dr. Gary Chan. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Chan. Thank you for inviting me. Great. Well, today we are talking about such an important topic, the most important muscle in your body. That's the heart. Now, many of us know that our heart is so important, but why is that? Talk a little bit about, for those that don't know, what exactly does the heart do? So the heart is basically the energy source of our entire body. And let me elaborate a little bit further. So as everyone knows, the heart is a muscular pump. It pumps blood that is rich in oxygen and nutrients to the rest of our body, to our brains, to our hands, to our, to our legs, to the, all the vital organs to keep us going. And so if something were to happen to the heart, then the pumping function is affected and the rest of the body suffers because these body parts will no longer receive oxygen and nutrients and hence the problem. So really, you need your heart to help the rest of your body function. Correct. So I guess, Dr. Chan, we focus so much on heart disease because it is the number one cause of death in the United States. But I want to focus here today on a diagnosis called broken heart syndrome. And I remember when I first heard dying of a broken heart is possible. And I feel like that's very shocking to hear. I think people talk about my heart is breaking, but... You never actually think that's happening, but that's a real medical issue, right? Yes, that's correct. It's a medical issue that happens predominantly in elderly women postmenopausal. And the real cause of it, we still don't have any significant understanding of it. But what happens is when an elderly lady is under significant emotional stress, such as an unexpected death in the family, when they are told of a really bad diagnosis, such as cancer, or when they have domestic argument or financial loss, or alternatively, when their body is under stress, such as when they have fractures, when they have infections with sepsis, that's when the heart, the bottom left chamber of the heart, stop functioning properly. The heart has four chambers, left side and right side, and each side has two chambers, one at the top and one at the bottom. The bottom left chamber is the chamber that pumps blood that is rich in oxygen and nutrient to the rest of the body. In broken heart syndrome, the typical thing that happens is the bottom left chamber of the heart, the tip of it is no longer moving well, and as a result, the heart is not pumping out the blood efficiently. And as a result, patients develop symptoms such as chest pain, sudden onset of chest pain, shortness of breath, and in severe cases, they might even pass out. Okay, death can happen, but it's very rare. It's happened 2 to 3% of patients having broken heart syndromes. And the reason it got this term is because of the negative emotion that usually precipitated this problem. But remember, it can also happen when the physical body is under stress, such as having uh, severe infections. So when we're thinking of a broken heart, if I'm picturing it in my mind, your heart isn't actually breaking in half or anything like that. It really focuses on those chambers you talked about. Correct. It's not actually broken in half, but then uh, what happened is the left ventricle, the bottom left chamber of the heart, the tip of it is 
in the typical cases, the tip of it and the middle portion of it is no longer moving well. Only the top part of the lab chamber is moving well. When the cardiologists look at the ultrasound of the heart or when they are doing a ventriculogram, what they see is it looks as if the bottom left ventricle balloon out. So in a certain way, you can say that is really blowing up the heart. So that's why it's called broken heart syndrome. Because of this morphology, because of this shape, another term for broken heart syndrome is apical ballooning cardiomyopathy or a Japanese term called takasubo cardiomyopathy. The reason this Japanese term comes is because tako means artifice and subo means trapped. When you see it on the imaging, the, the heart actually looks like an, a Japanese artifice trapped, and that's why this term sticks. Definitely, people have probably heard those couple different references to that. So you talked about you know, it may affect women more than men. Is there an age range that you typically see broken heart syndrome in? Is it you only see it more in elderly patients or can younger patients experience this as well? Usually we see it in elderly patients. The average age is 66 years young. Younger patients rarely have this presentation. And it happens in women mostly, about 90% of the cases. Men has a different presentation, but usually precipitated by happy feelings, such as winning a lottery. And as a result, the term broken heart might not be uh, applicable to men. Um, so I guess a lot of times when we're talking uh, surrounding heart disease, there's always some sort of risk factors that are going on. But are there risk factors when it comes to broken heart or does it matter what kind of shape you might be in? There is no particular risk involved. The only risk is if you are an elderly lady with emotional or physical stress, you should watch out for symptoms such as sudden onset of chest pain. Look for sudden onset of shortness of breath. And in severe case, they might pass out for a brief moment. So these are all symptoms to look for. Are those symptoms things that you might experience with other heart episodes? Is there something that maybe distinguishes between a broken heart syndrome or another cardiac episode? Or if you're experiencing any type of those symptoms, you should just come in? Actually, broken heart syndromes can mimic in many ways similar to an actual heart attack. When a patient presents to the emergency room with such a complaint, the EKG might look exactly the same as a heart attack. And when they check the blood, the uh, heart enzyme usually is elevated in both, in both broken heart syndrome and in an actual heart attack. So in many ways, a patient will have a very hard time distinguishing the two. Even for the emergency room doctor, for them, even if they do an ultrasound of the heart and they see the typical ballooning, it's still not possible to tell whether this is due to blockage in the blood vessel supplying the heart, that is a heart attack, or is it broken heart syndrome. The only way to tell the two apart is having a procedure called left heart catheterization, meaning that they have to, the interventional cardiologist, have to put a tubing 
in the arteries in the wrist most likely advancing that tubing all the way up the arms to the heart where they can inject some contrast and see if there is any blockage in the arteries supplying the heart. If there is no blockage, then we can then conclude that it's broken heart syndrome. Without the diagnostic heart cath, there is no way of telling the two apart. So if I come to an emergency room like Mercy One and I'm having some of these symptoms and you said it's it's difficult to distinguish between these things even for our own doctors, is there something they're looking for on that that EKG or something that tells them you need to go to the cath to get this procedure done? Ah, uh, yes, yes. So what happens is most likely the EKG will show what we call an anterior STEMI meaning that it has to meet certain criteria and is considered as a cardiac emergency. So what happened is once that system is activated, the interventional cardiologist and the heart cath lab team will be paged and they all have to be in the hospital within 20 minutes because time matters for heart issues. So, and they will rush the patient into the cath lab within preferably 30 minutes of presentation to the emergency room. So, and then they can do an emergent heart cath and see what really is going on with the patient's heart. Why is time so important? You mentioned that, and I have heard that before with other cardiac episodes. What, why is that time limit that you put on there so critical? Okay, in cardiologists, uh, times equals heart. So what happened is your heart is beating 24-7 nonstop, all right? We talk about how the heart is delivering blood that is rich in oxygen and nutrients to the rest of the body. But then to keep the heart itself pumping, it itself has to receive blood. And the heart receives blood from the vessel on the surface of the heart to deliver oxygen and nutrients for it to work. So if someone has a blockage in one of these arteries, that portions of the heart will not be moving well. But then the heart, what it does is it would still try its best to continue beating to keep your body running, but at the same time at its own expense, meaning that if they keep doing that and if this keep on going long enough, that portions of the heart might die and never recovers. So that's why it's emergent for the interventional cardiologists and the uh, cath lab team members to arrive within 20 minutes. So even if they got a call two in the morning, they have to rush in to ensure the safety and the health of the patient's heart. Wow, so time equals heart is a really important thing for not only cardiologists to remember, but for patients as well. Yes, correct. So you mentioned a little bit about those tests, this procedure that would be done. So say I go in for this procedure after after seeing that on on the, the tests getting done in the emergency room. So they tell me my heart's breaking, you're experiencing broken heart syndrome. What's next? What What does that procedure look like for somebody? So for broken heart syndrome or a heart attack, both require a heart cath. After the heart cath is when they know whether the patient's symptoms is due to a heart attack or due to broken heart. 
and at that point the uh, management changes. So if it's a heart attack, then the, the interventional cardiologist may decide to put a stent in or uh, to open up that block artery supplying the heart. But if it's a broken heart syndrome, nothing is blocked. But we need to manage the patient with supportive measure, making sure that their blood pressure is not low, making sure the heart is not so weak that it's unable to supply the demands of the body. And in, in severe cases, when the heart is really suffering, meaning that it's really not pumping well because of broken heart syndrome, they even might need to put a balloon pump in to help with the heart's job of delivering blood to the rest of the body. But most of the time, it can be managed by medicine only. And most of the time, the patient will recover from this. As long as the inciting factors, that is the emotional stress or the physical stress that the patient's body is undergoing has resolved, most of the time it recovers in two months. So lots of follow-ups then with your primary care provider would kind of be the next steps and medications. Is that correct? Mostly follow-up with the cardiologist and okay. to make sure uh, everything is going the way it should. And definitely checking another ultrasound again of the heart to make sure that, well, it's really recovering. And the good news is, well, it usually happens once meaning that a patient who suffers from broken heart syndrome very unlikely to will have another episode. Very unlikely. Well, you can say that what doesn't kill me make me stronger. So I guess it's it gets better as long as that emotional um, stress that you're having goes away and it's not likely to happen to you again. Is that correct from what you're saying? Oh, that's correct. So the current theory is when patient is under stress, whether it be emotional stress or physical stress, our body will produce a lot of stress hormones such as epinephrine or epinephrine, and they might impact the heart in a way that we don't expect it to. It might affect the microvasculature causing this, but right now the um, we don't have significant data to understand the exact mechanism. So stress can really have such a significant impact on your overall health then? Correct. Is there ways and advice for somebody listening that um, things they can do to to limit that stress, whether it be physical or emotional, so that they may not have to experience something like this? The major emotional stress is unexpected death in the family. And to be honest, that's totally not avoidable. You cannot predict which patients will, will experience this. So I guess what matters is we pay attention to our body. We don't ignore symptoms. If you are having significant chest pain or new shortness of breath, make sure you go see a doctor. And make sure you go to the emergency room if you feel that it's so severe that it's not normal. I also think another important topic to discuss with our listeners is those numbers. There's always numbers that doctors are talking about that's important to know. So for someone who is listening who may have had a heart episode or is looking to prevent some, what are some of those numbers? I've heard there's four numbers to, to really watch. 
So keep the blood pressure okay. The new guideline is 120 to 130. No, the top number. The bottom number keep it keep it 60 to 70. Blood sugar. Well, we we need to really watch that because it's a very common phenomenon in in North America. And so keep the blood sugar all right. If you have diabetes, make sure that your A1C is under control. We don't want any numbers in the nine,、um, ten, or above. Cholesterol numbers. We focus more on the bad cholesterol, the LDL, and in patients with no significant heart disease, meaning no blockage in the arteries supplying the heart, we prefer to have it less than a hundred. And in patient who has a stent. Or has a bypass surgery, or has no blockage in the heart, but not yet suitable for stent or bypass. We want it to be less than 70. The bad cholesterol, the LDL, less than 70. The BMI, well, is pretty. It's easier said than done. The BMI basically refer to to how tall you are relative to your weight, your weight relative to your height, and. We all know that in USA, in America, obesity is a problem. If you can eat healthily and do exercise, that will be very good for your heart. Those first three numbers specifically, how often should people be checking that? Is that every day, once a week? What's that timeline that they should be looking for their blood pressure, their blood sugar, and cholesterol? So, for patients with hypertension, the problem with hypertension is, well, usually it has no symptoms. By the time you have symptoms, that usually means that your blood pressure is really high. Let's say the top number in the 190-200 range, and the symptoms will be headaches, like blurry visions, chest discomfort. If your blood pressure is under control, I would just check it once a week or something. But then, if you are known to have high blood pressure and you are on blood pressure medicine, and you know that your blood pressure is not under control, I would check it daily to make sure that I'm doing all right. What happened is our blood pressure fluctuates with salt intake. So in holiday season, when we are all enjoying dinners in a restaurant with family members, your salt intake is higher because tasty food means. They have salt in it. I have seen patients with regular fluctuation in their blood pressure. What I mean by that is, every Monday the blood pressure is way higher than the rest of the week, and that's because on the weekend patient went out and have meals in the restaurant with a lot of salt intake. If I have high blood pressure, I would definitely check it the day after I dine out. And making sure it's not too high. If it is, then make sure next time when you go to the restaurant, go easy on the salt and eat less salty food. That's the point regarding blood pressure. So in normal patient with no issue, you can check it once a month. But if you have a diagnosis of hypertension, you check it once a week if it's under control. If it's not under control, I would rather have you check it daily. In terms of the cholesterol, if you have a recent change. In your cholesterol medicine, you should have it rechecked in two months. Usually, we check it once a year in annual physical. But then, if it's high, then your cardiologist may change your cholesterol medicine, and that needs to be rechecked 
two months after the changes. In terms of blood sugar, your primary care doctor will be、uh, a good sources for that. And depending on whether you are on insulin, the frequency of the blood sugar check varies. And what I mean by that is, well, you still need the daily blood sugar check, but the A1C frequency will vary depending on how bad your blood sugar is. Definitely some good advice there when it comes to those numbers. You know, Doctor Chan, if you could leave our listeners here with a, one last piece of advice, whether that is overall heart or that relates to broken heart syndrome, what would that be? For heart health, definitely eat healthy, meaning less red meat, more white meat, more fish product, vegetables, grains, and then exercise. But then, on the other hand, I understand that this is easier said than done. All right, lifestyle habit is pretty hard to change. We all make a New Year resolution saying, "Hey, I'm going to walk、uh, an hour a day. I'm going to lose 20 pounds." Well, sometimes it's easier said than done. We all do our best to reach this goal, but if you are not able to realistically do this, make sure you take your medicine as instructed. All right, your doctors are here to monitor side effects, so don't be worried that if you are on, put on a cholesterol medicine. And you heard that oh, it might hurt the liver or it might cause muscle ache. Not all patients experience that with cholesterol medicine, and the cardiologist and your primary care doctor will closely monitor symptoms and monitor your liver enzyme to make sure you don't have any bad side effect. So two fronts: good lifestyle habits, and then secondly, take your medicine. Great. Well, thank you so much for all of your awesome advice today and for joining us. We, of course, ex- appreciate your expertise, Dr. Chan. Okay, and stay safe.